0: Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. And once again, today we have an awesome guest. And this is a reciprocating relationship here. I was on Marie's show recently and we hit it off so well. And we have such similar passions, similar objectives to help people, to improve lives, to increase the well-being of humans. And I invited her on my show. So now I get a pick on her, turn the spotlight on her um let's talk about jeff johnston and more about marie alessi so welcome from the beautiful part of the world tell everybody where you're from where are you where are you uh, calling in from
1: <laughs> thank you so much for having me i'm calling in from uh, sydney australia so look, we're literally just south of sydney in a very beautiful little town just before like so it's suburbs in front of sydney basically so yeah that's where i'm coming from the other side of the world
0: how are you, Jeff? I've never been there, but I'm going to go yes. there someday. That I, I had a trip planned about 15 years ago wow. to go to Australia, New Zealand, and oh, it fell beautiful. through. Yeah, it fell through. We never ended up going. So, um, yeah. but no, that's part of the country, part of the country, part of the world. <laughs> I certainly want to go. But yeah. listen, I, I'm honored to have you on the Living Undeterred podcast. You so embody I. what Living Undeterred is all about. And why don't we just start off a little bit? I know you're the founder of loving life after loss and i have to kind of smile because i met a friend chris krupar that you introduced me to oh, yes. oh, and God. he goes by he goes by loving life after Yes, and he leaves it blank yeah. and I, I think that's such an awesome way to start um, a conversation is i'm going to ask you you know loving life after loss yeah. what does that mean to you and and um again i admire your strength when when my followers and listeners here hear your story they're going to see why i had you on the show
1: yeah. Before we dive into the story, I just want to quickly say I am so stoked that you and Chris connected. I just knew when I met you, I had to introduce you to Chris. And the funny part is that you mentioned that with the name because this is how I met Chris. I actually, before I had shortcut my, uh, my group, you know, when you create these shortcuts, um, I typed it in. And one day when I typed in loving Life" after his, group came up or his his website I'm like hold on who's that who's that dude who's got my name you know like like sort of <laughs> my name really and I had a look at what he did and I was so fascinated by him and uh, yeah he's now one of my moderators in Loving Love After Loss because we we are so aligned and um, yeah so I really had to introduce the two of you and I'm so so grateful that you had this connection now so Loving Love After Loss was started by me because my husband Passed very suddenly in 2018 from a brain aneurysm. So Rob went on a business trip and he never came home. There was no mm. goodbye. There was no pre-warning. He was in the prime of his life, 45 years old, super fit, healthy surfer, and yeah, he, he was literally unplugged. That's the exact vision I have in my head, you know, of him passing away. Um, so as you can imagine, it really it, it was like somebody pulled the rug underneath our feet. It was so unexpected, like. When I received how it, old, 40, old was he? Forty-five.
0: And you, there was no indication, Nothing. no hint, no Nothing. family history. And go back to that day. Yeah, you know, do you? Do you? I mean, often I wonder about triggering somebody by answering these questions. But no, you it's and I have talked. It. I've, I've talked Yeah, so much we've talked about at a deep now. level it's, about it's this stuff. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. it's therapeutic. But so yeah. the moment the like the last time you saw him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, that doesn't cross your mind. But now looking back in hindsight, Mm. I think you've probably developed a a tremendous sense of gratitude for the relationships that you have with people now, right?
1: Yeah. So I I want to backtrack here um, very quickly, although that's like 20 something years Mm -hmm. prior. But uh, I lost my dad when I was 20. And I often Mm -hmm. talk about the hidden gifts in adversity. And one of the biggest Mm -hmm. gifts that I got through my dad's passing was to live my life with no regrets, like seriously, no regrets. Like every time when I meet someone and it doesn't matter if that's somebody walking past me on the street or if that's a close friend of mine that I've known for forever, I do tell people what I think. I would tell a stranger if her hair looks amazing or her dress is really cute or whatever, because that's what I do all the time. I have this, and it's not so much out of fear that I could be missing out again because that's where it originally came from when my dad passed. Yeah. I didn't know it was the last time I would see him, although he had cancer. Mm-hmm. So I missed that whole saying goodbye and having our last conversation, all that, because I think I just didn't want to know that he would die. And part of me knew but i didn't want to and i was so young and and also i didn't have that whole spiritual background back then and the tools that i have now so i was in a very very different state i was not coping well with it but the one thing i got from it was to never live anything um you know, without saying what you mean, without saying what you feel. I think there wasn't one day in my 13 years that I had with Rob where I didn't tell him that I loved him, not out of habit, but because I really felt it and I really wanted him to know and luckily he was the exact same, you know. So we really had this incredible relationship that everybody looked up to. People were always like, oh, you and Rob, you know, you're just unbelievable. We were still so... um, Deeply in love after thirteen years of marriage, you know, there were no major arguments in our relationship because we communicated really well and it was our priority. We really, really loved life, we loved each other. And Rob never missed a chance of putting me in a pedestal and raving about me all the time. Like his workmates even came up to me at the at the funeral and told me that, you know. So the moment before, and I remember that so well because um, It was a public holiday on the Monday and Rob flew to the other side of Australia for a business trip. And because it was a Sunday when he left, we lived so close to the station and it's just so much nicer to jump on the train to the airport than driving. You don't have to worry about parking. It's super handy. So because it was a Sunday, we all walked him to the station. And in hindsight, I'm so glad that we had this moment because, you know, none of us knew it was our last However, here's the thing, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm still getting goosebumps just talking about this. We walked into the station and we were waiting for the train to roll in and I had this weird, very distinct nudge, take a photo. So I took a couple of photos mm. of Rob and the boys and they're all hugging dad and, you know, and we are saying goodbye. And it's a little quirky family thing that we had that Jed, my little one, always had to have the last kiss and hug. He was was 10 Mm. years at the time, you know, and he had this Mm -hmm. thing, he had to have the last kiss and hug. And that day I got the last kiss and hug and I was like, yay. And it was like cheeky and fun and nobody thought anything about it, but it means so much to me. It was just, I don't even think Jed realized. So there was no, oh my God, that last time I I saw dad, you know, my mom got the last one. So that wasn't there at all. It was just, uh, you know, I just sneaked it in and and Rob and I just grinned at each other and you know train closes and leaves and i'm turning around and and again i had this nut and i took a a photo of the train leaving and i thought how besides that you know and then the next day um he was in perth in in western australia and uh we had our last conversation without knowing and that last conversation was about love and connection it was just so beautiful he told me this story of a young couple he met and had invited him to sit with him at dinner because we were lining up together in a restaurant and got chatting and we're like, oh, we see you sit alone, sit with us. And he was so tired. He didn't want to. He had like all this travel; He's been working all day. He was so tired. But he said, I couldn't say no. They were so lovely. And one of them, I believe it was her, came from Treviso, which is a town in Italy where Rob's dad came from. So it was just mm. so funny how like all these things happen and we talk about love and connection and the next day, He was supposed to wake me up uh, at 7.30 because my phone was not updating or something going. I said, I don't know how to set the alarm because my phone's not updated. I said, I'll ring you because I have to be up anyway, and he didn't. Hmm. So I woke up at 7.31. He was supposed to call me at 7.30, and I remember so well. I've still got this burnt in my memory looking at the clock, 7.31. I'm like, that's odd. Rob was always on time, always. It was never late, not even a minute. It was just – so reliable and this is where I had this first little something wrong you know and then I tried to text him, I tried to call him but you know as a mom you get the kids ready for school you get busy and distracted and and then he still hadn't called he still hadn't texted and I kept texting him babe you okay you know I haven't heard from you just wanted to check in and then you keep making excuses and you're like oh I'm making excuses now what's going on there And maybe he left a phone in a hotel, maybe he left it in the cab, maybe, you know, like all these things come up and you're like...
0: Which are normal, perfectly normal. Yeah.
1: But something within me knew there was something not right. I could feel it. And Rob and I were so connected. And then at lunchtime, it occurred to me that I had the hotel where he was staying, so I thought, I'm going to give the hotel a call. I just need to know. I need to get this out of my head. This is driving me mental. Like, seriously, I know I shouldn't use this term too lightly, but I was really sure. like the anxiety levels were rising and I I just thought, okay. So I called the hotel and as I'm dialing the number, I had this very short vision, like literally just like a split second of Rob collapsing in a shower. And I'm like, oh, Marie, stop it. You are driving yourself crazy right now. Just stop it. Don't buy into this, you know. But because I had this vision when I when I had them on the phone, I said, "Look, you know, I, I believe my husband's staying with you, and can you please check in his room?" I said, "Please don't think I'm one of those freaked out wives stalking her husband, but you're supposed yeah. to call me, and I really feel there's something not right with him. Can you please check in his hotel room?" And then I said, "And can you please check in a shower?" And she was like, "Okay." So that's where they found him. He collapsed in a shower and died from the brain aneurysm. So. It was really wow. quite incredible that I had this vision. And, um, yeah, and then eventually in the afternoon I got the phone call because I, I kept ringing and I kept ringing and I kept ringing and then the hotel didn't pick up anymore. And in my mind I was, there's something wrong. They know my number now. Mm. They're not picking up. There's something wrong, you know. I knew it was a small hotel, so it's not that, you know, there's a switchboard and everybody picked up. I just I just had this incline. I was like, there's something not Right, and then eventually called his boss, and he said, "Look, Marie, just calm down. I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll bring the people that he was supposed to be in a meeting today. I'll just call with them and check in if he's okay." And they said, "No, he never showed up for the meeting." And then I knew, mm. I just knew, because Rob would never not show up for a meeting. You know, it's just so. Um, but that dragging on was. That was the torture for me, the not knowing because they have their procedures. Uh, Police is not allowed to Mm -hmm. tell you over the phone. They are supposed to send local police to you. And they couldn't find anyone because we are in such a small town here just before Sydney. There's no main police station. So they couldn't find anyone. And I kept ringing and then luckily uh, the coroner's officer made... Yeah, I just made a decision. And he said, I, I just had to make a decision. I had to put you out of your misery. I could see the phone was right next to me and it kept ringing, it kept ringing and your photo kept popping up. And I just knew, he said, I've got two boys myself. I'm a, I'm a family man. I I, I could wow. not even believe what you must be going through. And so he decided to give me a call. And here's the, the weirdest part about it. It's almost four years now. So it'll be four years in June. Oh, okay. And the weirdest part about that was when he called me and he said, It's a coroner's, uh, you know, sergeant from the coroner's office. Um, I had this horrible bilingual brain moment um, because my mother tongue is German. So my my level of English is quite high, as you can tell. But uh, there are these uh, quirky things that every now and then the word that pops up you've never heard before. I have never heard the Mm -hmm. word coroner's office before. So I didn't even know what he was talking about. So when he called me, I said, Mm -hmm. Sergeant, such and such the coroner's office i was still waiting for him to tell me there was an accident or he's in hospital or yeah. you know so he was just dragged on till reality hit me and then it just it just felt surreal you know just hearing these news yeah
0: so immediately after this happened yeah you know, I can, you know, my story yes. for 14 months, I struggled mm-hmm. immensely. My yeah. wife and I both did. Mm-hmm. So you seem to now kind of right at the ship, you know, you seem to be doing your podcast and, yeah. you know, your, your advocacy for mental health and your connectivity mm-hmm. you have with other people like myself and Chris yeah. and. I, I've seen some of your podcasts. You had just had a guy from Iowa, and it looks like yeah, too.
1: incredible. Um,
0: which is incredible. ironic because that's that's where I'm from. Uh, yeah, I thought probably of you guys straight away. away. Now I'm like, <laughs> oh,
1: I like, oh, he's doing the tour. I need to connect you with Jess. <laughs>
0: but so right after this happened, yeah. how long did it take you to get to where you are today, which has only been four years? And I know people that are four years in grieving right now, and yeah. they're literally no no further than they were four months into it. Yeah. I know people in four months that are way ahead. So yeah. everyone grieves differently, but how long did it take you to get to starting to see, Hey, I need to get my life turned around. Yeah. You know,
1: um, I have to be super honest with you here. I took a split second and okay. Here comes another blessing because I understand, and I'm saying this with all due respect. I so, yeah, understand, I want you to be honest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I so understand that. And I'm very grateful that you asked that question because as you said, I do understand there are so many people out there who, you know, years down the track still haven't even started the grieving process or still haven't even, and they think they're grieving, but they're stuck in a pain. They're not really grieving. So they're not processing anything. They're stuck in a pain. They're stuck in a cycle. um, Often in in that mental cycle of reliving and, and not, not finding one step out and, here is the blessing in disguise rob and i like not just that i already had that previous you know the gifts in adversity from my dad and then a very very close friend of mine died in his uh, very early 30s or late 20s um so we were all all around that age and um you know i've seen a few people die that were close to me in my life but this one was Mm -hmm. obviously different that was my husband it was the dad of our children Yet Rob and I had moments when we did hear about, you know, an accident on the street or whatever, and then you you talk about life, you talk about what ifs, you know. Right. And we had these conversations a couple of times where we said, if something was ever to happen to me, I want you to take the boys and create the happiest life possible. I mean it. And Mm -hmm. we both meant that. We both really, really wholeheartedly meant it. There was no question about that. Right, Uh, right yet there's one thing when you talk about it it's theory and the other thing when it all of a sudden happens and you're like
0: I have to break the news
1: yeah. to your boys that it actually happened you know right obviously the boys were never part of that conversation but we were and uh due to my background not just to losing my dad at an early age but also um I had worked as a mindset mentor for seven plus years prior to Rob's passing so I had all these tools available to me in terms of mindset right. in terms of what do you need to focus on? And at first I have to say I switched into functioning mode. I, I call it functioning mode because you just tick off the boxes. You just next thing, next thing, what do you need to do? Next step. You know, obviously I had to tell the boys, which was really the hardest thing I ever had to do in my entire yeah, life. It was yeah. just gut wrenching, heartbreaking. It it really it pierced my heart having to tell them and not just hearing them cry, but hearing them scream that that was really, mm. I have no words. I have no words. Mm. And so I went into this hall, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? I have to drive to Mum and Dad Rob's mum and dad, and tell them because there's no way I would want them to hear that over the phone on the way at all his brothers and sisters. Then there was the us flying to Perth the next day to identify his body, organizing that, getting that organized by Rob's work, luckily. Um, you know going home getting packed flying there doing that staying for a few days coming home picking my mama from the airport my mom was flying out to us to come to my son's first holy communion her flight was already booked Mm. a freak timing that she came in time for the funeral too it was really because she lives in austria still so um so that all happened and then obviously arranging the funeral there were so many things to organize and arrange and the wake and So I literally went into this step-by-step functioning mode, just ticking off all the boxes. Yet somewhere along the way, very quickly, that decision kicked in that I have to create the happiest life possible for me and the boys. Mm -hmm. This is now my um, sole responsibility. And Flynn, my oldest son, he um, he was 10 at the time. The first question he asked me was like, who's going to look after us now, mom? And I said, I will. Yeah. I will look after us. And yeah. uh, I said, I will look after you. So it was really important for me to say that out loud. And I think this is when it kicked in that that promise that we had made to each other to create a happy life. And most people did not right. understand that. Most people looked at me as like, oh, she's not grieving properly. She's still in denial. She's in shock. People tried to push well, me in all old... sorts of labels and did not know what to do with me that I was doing my best to focus on happiness and honestly you know it sounds it sounds it is such a simple decision but it's not easy i know and it's just
0: <laughs> i like the way you say that because yeah. i present you know when i do a lot of this talking i talk mm. about two roads the metaphor mm. two roads mm-hmm. and when i talk to my boys i say you know there are Absolutely. two roads but there's really there's really only one road
1: that i want you to like come you on. said there's yeah.
0: a there's only one, there's only one choice and that's the better road and the bitter roads there. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the outcome, if you go down the bitter road, you know, it's, it's misery, death, it's just not a Mm -hmm. good place to go. Mm -hmm. And so, um, how do you, how do you define grief? You know, what, you know, there's a, Kubler-Ross has the five stages of grief that I studied in college and I, yeah. I know it, I used to know it really well. And there's so many books out there on grief, but it seems like to me, everybody writes their own book and you have yeah. a very unique perspective and you've yeah. learned to reframe things. But how do you define for you, Marie, yeah. how do you find grief?
1: I'm so happy you asked me that because here's the one thing, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, everybody knows her in the field of grief, yep. has defined those five stages For terminally ill people, it was never intended Mm. for grief. And so I didn't
0: know that till uh, right now. Yeah. I didn't know that till right now. And
1: that's why I share it. Yeah. In every podcast, when I get asked this question, and and it comes literally in every second podcast because it's such, such an obvious thing to talk about the five centuries of grief, but they are not. There are five stages for terminally ill people, and when you think about it, the anger, the bargaining, the denial—that yeah. that makes sense in when you know that you. are And they're not Ill. in that
0: order either. They're they're, they're exactly they're, they're when I wrote my book, I said, yeah. "Yeah, my my grieving was all out of whack. I mean, yeah. all out of whack. And yeah. I I never really had anger. I I Me neither." I, I never did. Um, yeah. Anger was one one of the stages that I just kind of didn't have yeah. time for. and Well, and
1: because the stages um, are not for grief. You know, they're for terminal people. So it doesn't surprise me that I had literally none of those stages. So I mean, what are shock, your stages? Of course, well, you know, shock is, of course, there is shock when you hear something like that. That's no question asked. But those stages were for terminal people. So I just want to put that aside because it's really... Um, quite interesting how that somehow some at some stage got muddled up and ever since people talk about it as stages of grief and they're not. So, so I what would be
0: stages of grief that you would be yeah, for grief that aren't I, I don't
1: believe that there are stages at all. I believe that grief mm. is just as unique as the person experiencing it. Every story is, is unique. Every circumstances yeah. are unique. Every combinations of circumstances and stories are unique. So I don't believe in stages. But what I, I believe that. in because you you asked me, you know, what grief means to me. So grief to me is literally just a process that you're going through. Uh, literally mm-hmm. allowing yourself to process and not everybody's doing that. That's why I said at the beginning, you know, people say, I'm stuck in grief and I'm like, No, you're not. You're stuck in pain. You're not even grieving yet. Grieving is a process. Keep grieving what- is that allowing yourself to opening up to actually working through it. So the way I did it was that and this is what my entire movement is about. My focus was on happiness, on healing, on joyful moments. Mm-hmm. How can I create that? I literally mm-hmm. constantly asked myself, how can I make my boys' life as amazing as possible? That was my only focus, my sole focus as a parent, right. um, to create a happy life for them. And then of course when you focus on making a happy life for your boys, it usually has a very positive effect on your on yourself as well. And This is how I started grieving because grieving to me was a process that happened on the sideline. And a lot of people put a lot more focus into that, but I put my focus on healing, on happiness, on on hope, on going forward. So the grief happened to me on the sideline. When I broke down, I broke down. When I cried, I cried. When I screamed, I screamed. I had one uh, nervous breakdown that was intense. And that's when I realised, hold on, I need support for myself. I ended up screaming yeah. on the on the floor of my uh, kitchen, like whacking the cupboards and screaming yeah. on top of my lungs, I just need peace and yeah. quiet. I just collapsed over yeah. that one sentence and I screamed it over and over again. And then I got help. I started working with a positive psychologist for about four months, which I loved. It was like a fast forward session every time because of my background. It was like planting seeds in a very fertile ground. You know, everything she gave me. Let me, me jump me. back. Yeah, I
0: nice. want to go back to something before we get too far Absolutely. ahead um, about about the process you talked yeah. about because I I completely agree. Mm. In my book, I make a I make a statement that you know it's not my own words; it's mm. something I heard. But you know, I think I think too many people look at grief as an event, mm-hmm. like like you know, even the Absolutely. phrase "get over it." Yeah, that oh. means that means you're assuming one day one day there's an event where I will be over. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's evolution. It's, it's a process. It never, it never ends. It never ends. And (laughs) I think we just look at, you know, if you watch a lot of the motivational speakers and coaches and stuff and everything's, everything's like, you know, step one, tier one, tier two, like, you know, grief is like, like, okay, we're going to get through this. It's like, you know, you, you, I think that's an illusion in and of itself to think, Mm. That you're gonna get over it. I think you're setting yourself up for disaster. Mm. It's like, um, it's like one of the reasons why I don't count my days for not drinking alcohol because mm. I allow myself the ability to have a drink and I'm not gonna punish myself. Yeah. You know, it, it's just a process. And I think we look at grief as like I'm I'm supposed to like it's an event. It's like mm. um, it's over, you know? And it's like yeah. I think if we could change how we change the narrative on our mindset, like yeah. you, you talk about mindset a lot, mm-hmm. I love that. I'm just really perplexed on why society's so hung up on looking it. at grief. Looking at grief, I think it's it's how no different than our relationship with death, Marie. Yeah, is that you know death is painted as this you know horrific. Everyone's in black. Everyone's crying. There's sad music playing. There's this yeah, processional. The it's weird. like the image. <laughs> yeah, the image in our mind is just so so bleak, and it's like. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I'm sure the obviously the moment that you and I got those calls, sure, it was just like that. Yeah. But it it really is a choice to stay there. Mm. Yes. It's a choice to stay in that misery.
1: Yes. And you know right? what? I, I always I always say exactly that, you know, healing and happiness are a choice. Like both of them are choices yeah. that we can make or we can't. And so often when people are like, you know, not choosing is a choice as well. People don't understand that. When you don't choose, that's a so choice people, as well. You know, you, people you choose are to, that you People say. are going to
0: say, people are going to say, okay, Marie, that's great. Yeah. How do I do it? So you tell yeah. me action steps. You're yeah, a coach. absolutely. And I was going to ask you too at some point the difference uh-huh. between a coach and a counselor. Yeah. I hear those words thrown around. But before well, we get there, what yeah, are some yeah. action steps? Absolutely. What are some things people can start doing?
1: Yeah. So basically, the difference between a coach and counselor, I can answer that very quickly and then I get to the action steps mm-hmm. because the, um, it's just literally the background. Their training is different. So counseling is more like for psychology-based and uh, coaching is more for mindset and action steps you know that's it's like yeah the work can be very very similar the background is different and the degrees that they carry are different and uh you know how they get rebates from medicare etc you don't get rebate for coaching you get usually get rebate from <laughs> from counseling right. so yeah there are a couple of differences but uh, yeah. to the action steps so for me i literally i developed a little journey a healing journey called from grief to relief and for me i did that literally for people to find their first steps out off of the pain that that was the most important thing for me I'm like how can I help you stop the pain that's the first thing I want to do it's like when people come to an emergency room they're hurt stop the pain immediately as soon as you can you know so I want I want to do that for people and that's where I have developed seven steps to get through and I it was a trial and error for me as well because i tried it with uh, with 7 with 14 with 10 with 9 and i felt like the 7 steps just felt right to me you know i've tried this over the mm-hmm. years uh, in my in my mentoring group i got feedback from feedback from people who went through it and I said what what helped you the most what did you and i felt that was the easiest to get through and um I, I hope I can remember all of them there in, in, the, in the row. But, like, the, the number one thing for me, the very most important step for me was when you first get started, uh, people often look at, um, you know, they lost everything with that one person, which is not true. Mm-hmm. It's a perception right. of yourself that you lose everything with one person, right. but it's actually not true. So for me, the very first step is always, like, um, to separate who you have lost from what you have lost. And mm. I always invite yeah. people to sit with. Okay, what is it that you miss the most? What are the things that you really, really miss the most? For me, that was uh, physical touch because that's my my major love language is physical touch, quality time, and all the you know, obviously that was completely gone. I couldn't hug Rob anymore. So the physical presence was really the toughest one for me. There were things like feeling safe. Rob was my knight in shining armor. You know, I was always protected with him. I always felt safe with him. And there I was with two young boys on my own. And uh, Hmm. the feeling that you're always uh, admired, cared for, nurtured. He was such a nurturer. You know, his love language was Mm -hmm. um, acts of services. So I was constantly looked after, pampered, nurtured. He was incredible. Like, he was such a hands-on husband and dad. And um, so I went through that whole list of the things that I missed the most about being with Rob, about having him in our lives. And, and the next step for me was to, and I literally talked it out of my own experience. I literally just, you know, whatever worked for me, I wanted to teach others. And the second step for me was to sit with that list and go like, okay, how can I recreate this for me so it works for me? And this is not about replacing anyone. This is not about, okay, Rob's gone. Let, let's just get somebody else to do these things. This is horrible. You know, this is really just about empowering yourself. This is self-empowerment. What can I do? Or I should say, what can I do? You know, that to go through that list. And um, I'm a hugger. Like, you know, my, my boys hug me all the time. And no, it's not the same as having your husband. Of course not. It's something completely different. I got so many more hugs from other people because I really needed that. I needed that feeling of being held. And, you know, when my friends stopped in, they just hugged me straight away because they know. I did things like I pushed my bed into one corner because I felt it more cozy and I felt more safe sleeping in a corner rather than having, you know, the sides to my bed. I made sure that the front and back door was locked before I went to bed so I didn't have to lay in bed worrying about, oh, did I actually lock the front door? Could somebody walk in in the middle of the night? Things like that. So it's really going back into what can you actually do rather than what can't I do, you know?
0: Does it go back to focus on what you can control and not worry about those things you can't control?
1: Yes, I love that. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, because there's so much out there now about... Yeah. especially the the resurgence of Stoicism, which is a big part of my life. Yes, Marcus um, I only Marcus just Aurelius got and more and more into that now. It's
1: amazing. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, I actually learned about it back in college, and yeah. I just kind of forgot about it. Same. My previous <laughs> completely life, gone. My yeah, yeah, previous yeah. life was all about making money, and then mm. all this stuff happens, and now that's not important to me. Um, yeah. But so I go back and I think of the kind of the main principles of Stoicism, mm-hmm. and so much of it is focus on your, your, what you can control, you yes. know, the things that you can control, like mm-hmm. you can control what goes in your mouth.
1: Yeah. You yeah. Like control coconut drinking, water with control watermelon and mint.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I have a, I have a purple zero Gatorade. So, um, Jeez. but you know, but <laughs> I could be, I could be sipping language. a glass of wine, you know? And yeah. so and, and 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 so the choice thing is why one of the reasons why I called my nonprofit the choices network, because mm-hmm. I was very hypersensitive on not lecturing people and saying we're the sober living network or I'm the, yeah. you know, the, I'm the anti-drug coalition. It's yeah. like, you know, I'm not anti-drugs. I'm anti-abuse of It's it's
1: perfect. Yeah, and yeah. so
0: I, you know, there was intention when I came up with the Choices Network, because I knew as I started building this Living Undeterred brand that I'm mm. working on, mm-hmm. is that I always want to go back to choices, yeah. and and I think oh, I, I go it. back and look One at my, my son Seth and look at my wife, mm. and it was just a series, you know, probably literally thousands of small little choices so Mm. i have to show you something that's pretty interesting i think you'll Mm -hmm. like this so this
1: (gasps) i love him this this is pace
0: (laughs) this is pace the penguin and pace is our mascot for our tour and people wonder why do i have a penguin well Mm -hmm. i talk about choices yeah well for kids what we're trying to do is have these available for parents they're Mm -hmm. cute so i may have one anyway for me but the the thing is is that we want to be able to have kids or parents take pace home and sit down with their 5 year old. This isn't for junior high kids yeah. or high school kids. These are for the little kids. Yeah. And sit down and say, "You know what this penguin represents? This penguin represents patience. His name is Pace, and he's a penguin. He wasn't he wasn't gifted with cheetah speed. He doesn't have, you know, <laughs> eagle eyes. He doesn't have, you know, hawk mm-hmm. wings. He's a penguin. Probably the worst yeah. gifts to be successful in life, you know. <laughs> he has he has wings but he can't fly. He can't run. And so, but you know what? He gets to where he's going because he's patient. So Mm. you can say, when you're getting bullied or somebody says you're fat or ugly or Mm. somebody, you know, whatever, or your grades aren't going well, or your mom or you're mad at mom and dad Mm. think of pace, the penguin. So you talk a little bit about, um, you know, grief and how it's a process and stuff. Mm. So we're trying to find these metaphors for kids instead of just saying, you know what? Don't drink don't do yeah. this don't and do that don't how, do how, anyway, how well we does that, that work <laughs> it, it's terrible <laughs> yeah. it's terrible and it just encourages them to why why aren't they telling me to do that you know mm-hmm. it encourages them to do it so I think you know part of what we're trying to do at living undeterred and what you're trying to do as well is find those alternative tools those alternative yeah. ways to look at this 100%. and I know you're big into mindfulness I'm mm-hmm. big into mindfulness as well um and I don't know I think I'm more encouraged then I am pessimistic yeah. about fixing this mental health crisis that we have. Mm. And I, mean, I know you are too.
1: Yeah. I had
0: to Absolutely. show you pace. I, I'm, I love it. I, am, I love it. And
1: you know what? I love so I'll much. send
0: you one. I'll so, send you oh, one. <laughs> really? oh, I love it. I it's, will. It's, I'll, se- I'll send you one.
1: It, it's such a beautiful met- uh, metaphor. I love that you're using that. And I also love that, you know, you, you're looking for something for small kids. Because this is really where we need to get started, you know, and the whole don't. We do. Don't is the best way yeah. to make them try it one day. You know, if we use the right. word don't, the, the subconscious mind doesn't even understand the word don't. So if you say don't drink, they're like, wow. oh, drinking, hold on. You know, that's that, that's how the subconscious mind works. So the mind is so, so powerful. And for me, you know, when I was going through all these steps, one of them is just observing your thoughts. Like if if you slide into a moment where you feel, the negative thoughts are taking over and they're just you know i had this one moment and i shared this in my little uh, healing journey uh when i came back from traveling around the world with the boys so i took them on the two months around the world trip which was incredible and
0: good for you that's yeah
1: awesome. we we just really i felt we needed to get away after everything that happened the funeral etc like and then and then I actually wrote a book as well, like in a, in a very short amount of time or like four weeks, I had this massive download of writing this story and, uh, publishing it. And, um,
0: what's the name of your book?
1: Loving Love After Lost. That's what planted a seed for the movement. So that was actually what started it with the name. And when the and that's book came available out, on
0: all the platforms and yeah, it's stuff on,
1: on Amazon, it's okay. on my website. And, uh, It became an amazon number one bestseller and it ranked in the top 100 of australia and i was blown Mm -hmm. away jeff when i wrote the book it was for me it was like a love legacy for rob and i was hoping that i would give some people hope uh that there is a different way of coping with it i did not expect any of that any of it and Mm -hmm. so as i said I, i straight after the book came out i traveled around the world with the boys i had the trip planned already we wanted to be away for all these first milestones, you know, the Christmas, New Year's, both the boys' birthdays are in January. So we, I just wanted to take them away. And it was the most amazing decision I made. It was incredible. Like we started off in the Maldives and then went to the Canary Islands and then went through Europe and ended up at St. Awesome. Island and uh, took them to uh, Universal Studios for a birthday. And, you know, it's just really incredible. Just really Do you know beautiful. how
0: similar our lives are? Yeah, because
1: my wife, my wife died. My wife died at
0: 46. Yeah, my wife died at 46. Rob died at 45. I have two boys as well. I know you have two boys. Our are going around the world as a tour, our RV yeah. tour. You know, going around the country for 95 days. Yeah, so I'm many a And then we both, we both are in this. Got <laughs> thrust into this mental health. You yeah. know, I. I, this was the furthest thing from my mind. I was yeah. helping people save money for retirement, you know That's incredible. and then just five years ago. and now mm. I tell people that in the last year and a half when living undeterred became an entity, yeah, I've got more satisfaction in a year and a half than I did thirty two years, yeah. helping people save for retirement. yeah, not even close, not even yeah. close
1: i I'm so with you on that, Dave. and when when I talk to you, I, I still remember going back to my team of moderators, um, <laughs> Chris is in there as well and I said, He's like the male equivalent to me. Like there's so many parallels. It's incredible. So that's why I was really looking forward to having you on my show and being here today. Because there are well, there's a lot, lot more us.
0: There's a lot yeah. more us out there, Marie. Yes, I, I know there are, and that's the oh, beauty of.
1: 100%. I think
0: Yo Yoan Hari said in, in his TED talk um, yeah. that the opposite of addiction was connection, and I, I, think, I think I think that's how that we. Sentence. That's it's... how we. You know, we'll never eradicate yeah you know addiction and substance abuse and all that but mm-hmm. if we know that that connectivity and vulnerability and empathy and compassion yeah. you know not 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 sympathy and pity and yeah. you know all these other emotions yeah. but you know and, and again, I think there's a lot more that's just my dog don't worry about it right. there's I'm a so lot, <laughs> <laughs> there's just something about that about what he said about about yeah. connection and i I do think that there are you know, we tend to see only the worst case scenarios. You know, mm-hmm. the 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 guy that goes up and shoots up a school, or the people yeah. that take their own lives, or the the people that just you know are, are all the depression rates. And it's like there's a lot of Marie Alessi's out there. There's a mm-hmm. lot of Jeff Johnson's, There's a lot of Chris coupars. Kru- Kru- mm-hmm. There's a lot of us out there. And I think the more that we get on each other's shows and we yeah. share stories and read our each other's books, yeah. and instead of being silo shops mm-hmm. where we have our own agenda. Now we're all together, and yeah. I think there's strength in numbers. And yeah, I do see. I see so much momentum mm. in this opportunity that that we have. You know, yeah. And together it, we so can make beautiful. a difference. I mean, yeah. literally, together we can make a difference.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I just love that you say that because I, I literally just come back from a business retreat that I've been on with with my mentoring group about three three weeks ago. We were in Melbourne, and. Uh, I said, you know, one of the three pillars of my business, I want to really just focus on collaboration. Because I feel like I've got my group, which is one pillow, which is mm-hmm. now, you know, loving life after loss, there are 3,500 people in there to date. And people go, wow, you've grown a group so big. And, and I'm like, I don't see it as such. I think I'm, It's not right. that I'm not honouring it, but for me, it's a fraction of people that I want to reach, a fraction. And I know that right. I can spend the next 10 years growing the group to 10,000, maybe even 100,000 people, but it will still be a fraction of people that are out there suffering and in pain because they are succumbing to expectations of society and how they are supposed to grieve. And I put that on a huge quotation right. marks. Um, right. So for me, it's all about educating. It's all about finding other people like Jeff Johnson, like Chris Cooper, like uh, Justin Stinson, like all the people that I've interviewed in my group and I'm yet to meet and yet to interview uh, where I'm like, I have already started a little list. There's probably about 10 people on there at the moment um that i started three weeks ago i'm like i want to think about people that would come on board with this to do something bigger together i really do not know what that's going to look like exactly but i know it will collaboration and it will be uh building and uh quadrupling our audiences putting them together to spread the message because people need to hear it and that's why i'm so pumped that you are about to go on this tour and spread the message throughout america it's just incredible because that's what i had a
0: um I had a reporter, sorry I interrupted you. No, There's no, a little please. delay in our conversation. No, so fine. um, but I had a reporter ask me the other day. She said, um, getting our interview for the tour, she said, Jeff, I have a couple questions for you. She said, uh, what problem are you trying to solve?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and what's the what's the reason you're going on the tour? What's what's the yeah. purpose of the tour? Yeah. And those are those are trap questions. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I think they're they're unfair, they're naive, and they're trap questions because how do you answer that when Mm -hmm. it's, when it's an hour answer and how, you know, and whatever I do answer typically, like if someone says, who did you vote for? I mean, that's another trap question. These (laughs) are just things that are big trouble. So when someone says, what problem are you trying to solve? I I got to thinking and I talked about this on most of my recent podcasts, but I came to this standard answer, I think is, is what I'm going to say to everybody to ask me these questions. Mm -hmm. If what we were doing was working, we wouldn't be doing the tour. Yeah. And that's, that, I think yes. that's a standard oh. application. So, it. so someone says, Hey, Jeff, why are you doing the tour? Mm. If what we, we were doing was working, we yeah. wouldn't be doing the tour. Yeah. What problem are you trying to solve? If we were, we doing what we yeah. were doing was working. Yeah. So it's like, the reality is if what we were doing mm. was working, yeah. then you and I wouldn't even be talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, the problem is no, nothing's I, working and what I, is working is very, very isolated.
1: Yeah. I, I want to share one thing. I, I recently, like just last week, had the absolute honor to be in a Zoom meeting with Michael, uh, with Mike Michalowicz, the, the author of The Pumpkin Plan and Profit First and all these amazing, amazing, really inspiring business books. And I just literally downloaded his um newest book and it is about being different i don't know the exact title please don't um, thought me of that (laughs) but it's something about uh, being different you know something making a difference being different something around that and i started listening to the book and i just freaking love it it's just all about you know if we all uh you know with with grief it's such a perfect example you know that the whole wearing black and the whole suffering and if we're all doing that and i i I was nervous about it. I'd be lying if I wasn't. You know, when I first opened the doors to that movement, Loving Love After loss, I felt like jumping off a cliff and growing my wings on the way down. That's how it felt. And then I remembered, oh, I have wings and I just need to spread them. And it was this whole evolution of me Stepping into who I already was, but I had to meet that mm-hmm. person. You know, I had to really grow mm-hmm. within myself and step up and step up and step up. And every time you're like, I'm stepping up, I'm doing this, I'm in leadership, I'm showing people how to do this, right. there's still the next level and still the next level. And for me, um, it's not just about wearing orange, standing out, but it is also, you know, it's mm-hmm. about that. Being seen because when you're being seen and being heard, this is when you start making a difference and not being shy about saying what you believe in and, and not saying, Yeah, you know, like there needs to be education spread into the world about, you know, the five stages of grief that they're actually not five stages of grief, you know, little things like that. It will make a huge mm-hmm. difference because people can get hung up on that and then they get stuck in a loop because there is no coming out of that. You're like, oh, the five stages, I'm done, right. you're out. No, yep. it's not like a program you go through. It's not even meant for you. It's not even for grief. Just leave that aside. Focus on what you actually want. Do you like being unhappy? Do you, Does right. it feel great being sad? No, that's how simple it is. It is I'm not it saying it's choice. easy, but just exactly. Healing is a choice and you need to make it. And I want to share one quick example because I know are sort of coming towards the end of our interview already, but I want to share. Well, I was going to tell you
0: do, you, do you know what the sign of a great podcast is? Yeah. When 45 minutes feels like five minutes.
1: <laughs> no, I just looked at the clock. I'm like, whoops, we're already <laughs> way through it. It's amazing. So I want to yeah, go, you, I'll, I'll give you the last
0: word here and then we'll, yeah, awesome. I'm going
1: to wrap it up with that actually because I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. So I have a lot of uh, moms that come to me uh, because I predominantly work with widows, but I work with, with uh, men, with moms, with anyone who comes to me, but that's my main audience. So a lot of moms come to me and say, Well, I didn't have a choice. I had to do it for the kids. I'm like, ooh, you know, my alarm bells come on. I'm like, hold on. I really want to say this to you. I said there are so many moms out there who don't make it out of bed in the morning because they don't feel they have the strength, who uh, choose different uh, pathways, as we all know, like alcohol, like drugs, and unfortunately also suicide. So I want you to keep that in mind. And I'm not saying that to you to suggest that as a path whatsoever. I'm saying that for you Mm -hmm. to be aware of the choices that you have made. You are getting out of bed Mm -hmm. every morning. Amazing. You are feeding your kids every morning. Amazing. You are getting them to school. You're dressing them. You're doing all these things. So you feel like you didn't have a choice. Yet here you are having made all these choices on a daily basis, but you're not aware of that. And once they are aware of it, they start owning it. And that becomes empowering. And that's when you start growing and healing out of that. And I actually do believe when you say, you know, grief never ends. I believe we can end that because it's just a matter of how you look at it. And for me, grief is a process, but when you get to the end of, um, when you get into happiness, when you live a life of loving life oh. after loss like I do now, um, mm-hmm. then you still might have the odd day where it hits you and you cry. But for me it's not like, oh, I'm grieving again. It is a memory that came up and affects me emotionally, yeah. But I don't feel like, oh, here's a grief again. I don't feel like that. It's just like you know, a memory came up, it touched me and I cried. It's like when you haven't experienced grief, when you haven't experienced loss and you watch a sad movie and it touches you and you cry, you people go like, oh, you're grieving. Mm-hmm you know it's all these labels that we need to overcome and that's what i'm gonna finish off with like we really need to drop those labels and uh, focus on what we want
0: well you're a big inspiration to me and i really am happy our paths crossed and uh, i certainly can see a lot of collaboration down the road um and you know again the the end game for us is to Uh, And it's a process in what we're trying to build as well, because someone asked me, you know, someone asked me, what is your end game? And I said, my last breath. That's, that's all I got. I mean, I, I, I I don't have, I don't have this gold. Yeah. It's like my last breath. That's my end game. You know, I had one, one person, one time. I happen to get up in the morning. My dog's a Vizsla, so when storms come, oh, by, he gets really hyper. I
1: love yeah,
0: so it's like three in the morning, and I get up, and you know, I have to hug him and calm him because he eats everything. And so <laughs> I get on Facebook, which you're not supposed to, and I'm like checking some things. And then like the next day, someone someone sent me a, a Facebook DM and said, "Do you ever sleep?" And I said, "Yeah." <laughs> When I'm not awake, <laughs> that was my answer. Um, yeah. Well, listen, I, I, it's an inspiration what you're doing. I really respect your resiliency mm-hmm. and the fact that you are showing how to do this, not telling people mm-hmm. how to do it. Um, yeah. There's a lot of credibility. There's a lot of street cred, as we say, that mm-hmm. goes with that. I so that. keep living undeterred. And how can people reach you? What's the easiest way to reach you?
1: The easiest way is mariealessi.com. So it's just first name, last name.com because you get all the links to my. Podcasts, my interviews, to my you know programs that I run, to my group that you can join, to the books that I have written. So everything's on MarieAlessi.com.
0: And we'll share everything on, our, on okay. our podcast as well. So listen, have a great rest of your day. And uh, I know you. it's evening for me over here. It's morning for you over there. Uh, and again, I really, really appreciate your time and best of luck.
1: Thank you so much. And I'll be following your tour. I can't wait to see you get started on that. It's amazing.
0: Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you.